Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. the show already what is up everybody welcome into another episode of flipping bats presented by mattress firm who is look they're the mvp they have their own locker their own mattress firm locker with an mvp sticker in it because they are the mvp of this show but we got a really exciting one today we're going to start off with some storylines from the around the league and we're going to get into our interview our conversation with the man Lucas Giolito, who is just one of the best human beings in the entire world. And on top of it, he has an incredible story, how he changed his career physically, how he changed everything mentally to become the pitcher that he is today. So I can't wait for you guys to hear that. And then we will get into my favorite segment of all time this week in Shohei Otani news. And we'll finish up the show with uh, some power rankings that uh, my top 10 power rankings, updated power rankings, if you will. So look, let's get into it. Rounding the bases off the top with some storylines from the week that was and what's to come. And you know what's to come? First off, the Field of Dreams game. And you know who's going to be there? I am. The Field of Dreams game, one of my favorite movies of all time. One of the most incredible movies of all time, The Field of Dreams. If you don't cry while you're watching it, you're watching it wrong. So... Look, for the first time in Major League Baseball history, there will be a Field of Dreams game played. Now, let me set that up for you. It's taking place in Dyersville, Iowa, where the actual movie site is. So you have the house, the movie site, and then right next to that, they built a stadium. They built a stadium where the White Sox and the Yankees will be playing. It's an 8,000-seat capacity stadium, which is really cool in its own right because the entire population of Dyersville, Iowa is just over 4,000 people. So this stadium will hold double that. Tickets are incredibly high because this is, you know, seats are, are tough to come by, very small stadium. So this event is going to be incredible. These two teams, the White Sox and the Yankees, are wearing jerseys from basically back when this movie was shot. They're the two teams that are involved in the movie. The jerseys are throwback jerseys. The stadium is built to look like Comiskey Park from back in 1919 when the, when the White Sox played there. I mean, I, I cannot wait for this. The cornfields are in the outfield. Look at this. Carlos Rodon will be the starter, uh, has been named the starter for the White Sox. The Yankees have not yet named their starter, so we'll see who that's going to be. But look at this picture that Carlos Rodon took out in the middle of the corn. I will be replicating that picture. I don't care how it happens. I don't care if it happens right on the field. I know there's lots of corn in Iowa, and I know I'll be taking a picture just like that, and I can't wait to do it. But I am very, very excited for this game. And look, it, it takes place, it's going to be this coming Thursday, August 12th. Coverage starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. 
By all accounts, this place has done it right. There's a maze out in the outfield that you, you can walk to, you walk through to get to the field. Um, so I'm looking forward to walking through that and seeing my time. Um, and I might miss the game from being lost. I'm not great with mazes, so we're worried about that. But I'll be trying it out. I promise you that. I'll be trying out the maze, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but look, I actually was wondering a few of the intricacies about this field. The outfield wall is going to be, there's going to be invisible windows to see the corn. Man, I am so excited to be there. And this week, I will be at the Field of Dreams game in Dyersville, Iowa. And you guys need to tune in. 6 p.m. Eastern is when coverage on Fox starts. But heading on over to second, it is the AL East and everything that is going on in the American League East. This past week was our trade deadline episode, and we talked all about the teams and who did well and who didn't do enough. And a lot of teams we talked about came from the AL East. I want to start with the New York Yankees, okay? I talked about what they did offensively. I loved it. I didn't love what they did as a pitching staff, so I gave them just above average a C+. My mom would say, that's not above average. Look, average is a C. C plus is above average. That's how you get good grades in school. Just stay above average. And the Yankees stayed just above average. I didn't love what they did, but it's clearly given them a spark. It has given them a spark. They got Gallo, they get Rizzo, and this offense starts taking off. They're playing well. The Blue Jays make a move that their offense was already in place. Jose Barrios, they acquire him. They start taking off. What I want to talk about here in depth is a team that didn't do much, a team that needed to do more, the Boston Red Sox. I very much so said, I don't like what the Red Sox did. They get Kyle Schwarber, but that's it. And what are you even acquiring in Kyle Schwarber? You don't really know. Are you getting that guy that went on a surge before he got hurt and hit 100 home runs in one week? Probably not. But that's all they did. They didn't help their pitching staff. And you know what's happened since then? On July 30th, the day of the deadline, the Boston Red Sox were in first place, okay? Since then, they have gone two and seven. They're now four games out of first place. And these other teams that were behind them, look, the Rays are in first place now. The Rays are doing what the Rays do. They're winning a bunch of ball games. They're in first place now by four games. These other teams that were behind them, the Yankees and the Blue Jays, the Yankees were seven games behind them. Seven. The Blue Jays were eight and a half games behind them. Now the Yankees are two and a half games behind them, and the Blue Jays are three games behind them right on their heels. So look, I, I said last week, it's not necessarily about what you do at the deadline. Obviously, making the right moves helps and I think is super important. But more so, it says to your clubhouse, we're going to win these games. The Yankees go out and get two huge pieces at the deadline, and they start winning a bunch of games. The Blue Jays go out and address their biggest weakness. They're pitching. They get a top-line starter. They get a reliever in the bullpen. They start playing great baseball. The Red Sox, who don't really do much, are really scuffling right now. And this is, I always, I always find this interesting because a lot of GMs will come out, if there's a player that's been injured, will say, well, you know, Chris Sale's like our deadline acquisition. Well, Chris Sale's been on the team. He's been hurt. Yeah, you're getting him back, but go get somebody else to make your team better. They don't. They don't do anything. They just sit there. They add an offensive piece that they haven't even been able to use yet because he's been hurt, and they start falling down the rankings. 
the standings in the AL East. They keep falling and falling and falling. They just blow a huge lead and against the Blue Jays the other night. Look, this is getting interesting in the AL East. And I really think we might see two teams from the AL East make this wild card team. I think the other one that's in contention is the Oakland A's. But if I had to guess, I would say the two teams that we're going to see as wild cards are going to come out of the AL East. And who's it going to be? The Red Sox, the Yankees, the Blue Jays. Is it going to be the Rays? I don't know if they're going to, I don't know who's going to win this. It looks like the Rays are starting to surge and, and got Nelson Cruz and put him in the middle of this lineup, which is exactly what they needed. What did the Red Sox do to put themselves in position to win this division? Nothing. And I think the Yankees and the Blue Jays are going to catch them. And we'll see if they can end up being the two wildcard teams. But the trade deadline has proved to be very, very important to all of these teams in that division, none more so than the Blue Jays and the Yankees, who are surging right now, and the Red Sox are certainly struggling. But on to third, the NL East. We go from the AL East to the NL East. And this whole division has just been a, a, a mess, to be quite honest with you. Nobody really knows what's going on with the Mets. They've been leading this division all year. Um, but I don't even know if they want to win this division. They keep falling. They, they didn't do much at the trade deadline. Nobody has jumped up and said, we want to win this division. Nobody until the Philadelphia Phillies over the last week, week and a half to two weeks. The Phillies have stepped up and said, look, we want this division. We're going to go win it. And you know what they've done? They've won eight baseball games in a row. They've won eight, 10 of their last 12 games. They're just not losing games right now. They've put themselves in position to win this division. They went out and addressed what they needed to at the trade deadline, getting two pitchers that they absolutely needed. They got a guy, uh, Ian Kennedy, in the back end of the bullpen, Kyle Gibson to put in that rotation. This team went for it. And I wasn't high on what the Mets did at the deadline. They went and get uh, Javi Baez, who I don't, I don't think is a great fit for that team. Now, I could eventually be wrong with that. They could go back on a surge. But right now, they're really struggling. They're actually in third place in this division, behind the Braves, who I liked what they did at the deadline. They went for it. The Braves are now in second place, a few games behind the Phillies. But look, the Phillies here are who I want to talk about. They have gone and put themselves in a position to be the favorites in this division. Not only have they propelled themselves to become the favorites in this division, a guy on their team in Bryce Harper, who I have been very strong opinioned on about, I think Bryce Harper is underrated. I don't care how much he's getting. Everybody loves to say, well, he's getting paid to do this. I don't care. He is underrated on the baseball field. He has propelled this team to first place in the division, and he has put himself in a position to be the, the MVP of the National League if, if, if things continue in this direction. Look, after eight straight wins, the Phillies are now even odds to win this division at plus 100. Zach Wheeler is now the favorite to win the NL Cy Young Award, and Bryce Harper has now the second best odds to win MVP. If you go back to two weeks ago, none of this was the case. None of it. The Phillies didn't have the best odds to win. Zach Wheeler didn't have the best odds to win uh, Cy Young. And Bryce Harper was, had like the ninth, tenth best odds to win the MVP. Fast forward 10 days, he now has the second best odds. 
behind Fernando Tatis, who's injured. So this will be interesting, in my opinion. I love Fernando Tatis. I've been on record saying I think he's going to be the face of baseball. I think this year has propelled him to be that, along with Shohei Otani, who also this year has propelled himself into that conversation. But look, these guys that are injured, Fernando Tatis, Jacob deGrom, they were the clear favorites. I mean, Jacob deGrom was the favorite for MVP. I don't think that's in question. I don't think he can win that anymore by missing this much time. What he can do is make it back and still win Cy Young. But from what I've heard, him coming back this season isn't even a certainty. So you've got to believe Zach Wheeler has pitched himself into that favorite spot and is in the clear front runner to, to win that. I just love what Bryce Harper has done. I love what he has done getting himself into the second best odds to win MVP behind Fernando Tatis, who's also out. Now, he's expected to come back soon. He's also playing with the Padres, which, which, which helps his cause because they're an exciting team out on the West Coast winning a bunch of baseball games against the Dodgers and the Giants. They're going to duke it out. But both of these teams are now in it. And if Tatis doesn't come back soon, Bryce Harper is going to be your NL MVP. He's the second favorite right now. Fernando Tatis is the favorite. But I'm telling you, he can't miss much more time because what Bryce Harper is doing is MVP-like numbers. And I'm tired of people saying he's not an MVP player anymore because he is. He's an underrated player, and he deserves to be talked about as an MVP of this league. And he very might well be that at the end of this year. But heading on home, the Astros and the Dodgers. Guys, this series this past week was one of the most insane series that I have ever been to. I was in the stadium for both of these games, and, and we're well aware the history here. We all knew it would be intense walking into this stadium. It was intense before I even got to the stadium. We pull up, park the car. As we get out of the car, we're just hounded with booze. Not me in particular. I'm not out there wearing Astros gear, but the stadium, you could hear it from inside. The booze were louder than I had ever heard before. And it was even before the game started. I don't even know what was happening. I think the guy that sung the anthem like had a hint of orange on him and got booed out of the stadium almost. That's how crazy it was. If you were wearing orange, you were getting booed. And it was, it was nuts. It was louder than I have ever heard before. Get into the stadium just before first pitch because it takes two and a half hours to get from the gate to the stadium because traffic is just brutal out here. But we get there. We walk in. So the first thing that happens is Altuve walks up to the plate. Or, yeah, Altuve's up at the plate, and all these cheater chants start. You guys know what this is all from. Back in 2017, all the, you know, animosity there from the whole scandal. So this cheater chant starts, and it's louder. It, you know, look, props to Dodgers fans for being as loud as they were, being as vocal as they were. No props to Dodgers fans for the violence that came about from it. But I don't think, any, you know, those are, there's always bad apples in a bunch. But it was, it, was, it was actually crazy in this stadium. So the chants were really loud. I finally get over to my seat. And as soon as I sit down, there's trash cans thrown on the field. This is the first inning of the game. A blow-up trash can comes falling down into the field. The stadium erupts. Everybody's going crazy. Trash can on the field. So that happens in literally the first inning. There were perceived to be like five trash cans thrown on the field in the first inning. And you might be saying, how do trash cans get on the field? I was asking the same question. Apparently, they're blow-up trash cans. So people would just bring these little things in their bag, and then they'd blow them up, and then they'd get thrown on on the field. 
The Astros end up going on to win that first game. It was actually very deflating for the fans. The fans were deflated as fast as the trash cans were they got thrown out on the field. That was game one. Game two happens. Same atmosphere. Electric. Max Scherzer is on the mound. I was so excited to watch the debut of Max Scherzer, and he did not disappoint. He threw incredible. The first inning, he gives up a home run to Michael Brantley, and then he settles in. He absolutely dominated, double-digit strikeouts, mowed everybody down. This was the game that Dodgers fans needed against the Astros. They put up a bunch of runs. Uh, Max Scherzer makes his debut. He throws great. What I loved was being there in the stadium after Max comes off the mound, after striking out 10 guys. The place is pumped up. The place is going insane. I had goosebumps. I'm serious. I had goosebumps because I love baseball. I love seeing cool things. That was a cool thing. He goes down into the dugout. He gets a curtain call. The place goes nuts. He's up on the steps waving to everybody. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Max said after the game that he never had a curtain call before. That was the first curtain call he had ever had over the course of his baseball career. And it was really cool to be there. I mean, the energy in the place was awesome. The energy when he got called back out was awesome. But more so than that is this series, this rivalry. It has turned into the best rivalry in baseball right now. The two teams are incredible. The best, one of the best teams in each league. They don't love each other, obviously. They're not huge fans of each other. But they respect each other on the field, and they're the two best, they're one of the two best teams in all of baseball. The rivalry in the stands is really intense, gets a little scary at times, but this rivalry is so fun. It is so fun to watch, and it is intense from the first pitch of the game to the last. I truly believe that what we're seeing out of this rivalry is, is saving baseball almost. People tune into these regular season games. It could be the second inning and everyone was on their feet screaming their heads off because it was that intense. And I know that was the case at home from people watching on TV. The, the, the emotions in this series are special. And, and I don't love how it all came about. Obviously, I wish none of that had gone down and, and that was never a problem in baseball. But it is what sparked this rivalry and it is what makes this rivalry so passionate and so powerful is the history behind it. And now we're here with two of the best teams in baseball that do not like each other, a fan base that just, they don't like each other, and it makes for an incredible product on the field. I'll tell you this, we will be lucky if we get this as a World Series matchup. I don't know if it's gonna happen. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of great teams on, on both sides. The White Sox certainly scare me in the American League. There's the Giants, the Padres, a bunch of teams in the National League that scare me. But it is a possibility that this happens and that these two teams are the World Series team. And I promise you, we are in for a treat if this happens. We are in for an absolute treat. And that leads me into my Twitter poll from this week. We always ask you guys one question on Twitter, at Pod. If you don't follow Pod, what are you doing? Do it. And this week's Twitter poll question for you guys was, if the Astros and the Dodgers end up being that World Series matchup, who wins? Who wins? Fairly straightforward. We didn't have a bunch of options for you this week. We had two. If this is the World Series matchup, 
if. So don't get all caught up and say, but other teams could get in it. We know. Of course we know that. But who's going to win if it's these two? And man, in a landslide victory, the Dodgers win 69.4% of the vote to 30.6% of the vote. Now, look, let's pump the brakes on that. I don't think it's that big of a difference. I think on paper right now, the Dodgers are probably the better team. I think right now on paper, the Dodgers are the best team in all of baseball. You acquire Max Scherzer, you acquire Trey Turner on top of a lineup and a roster that was already there. You, you're the best team in baseball, and, and you should win the World Series. I think if the Dodgers do not win the World Series after what they've done and what their roster looks like, it is a bust. If the Dodgers don't win the World Series, it's a bust. But I don't know if 70-30 is the result. And look, I, I don't have all the answers here. I, I, I don't even remember. I don't think I even voted in this poll because I, I wanted to be able to have this conversation, and I don't want people crying, oh, you're so biased. I'm not biased. I just think this is going to be an incredible series. And whoever, if we get this, we're all, we're all in for a treat. And I, I think it's going to be an incredible series, uh, one that would most likely go down to a game six or game seven. And, and the history would just make it an incredible incredible experience for everybody but the Dodgers win this week's Twitter poll by just about 70% of the vote to 30% of the vote on who you guys think would win in a World Series matchup between the Dodgers and the Astros so thank you of course for voting if you're not following Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter make sure you do that we're also on the other social media platforms Facebook Instagram so make sure you're checking us out there so you don't miss the weekly Twitter poll. So thank you guys for voting, but let's get right into it. Let's get in to my conversation with one of the nicest guys in all of baseball and an incredible story, this week's guest, Lucas Giolito. Thanks for joining me, man. How are you? Good, good. How's it going, Ben? It's going great, man. So look, normally right off the bat, we get to some trivia questions. Um, so that's what we're going to start with. And you, you're in some right. tough territory here. Nick Castellanos got nine recently. So uh, he's at the top of the leaderboard, so let's see how you do. All career moments sort of questions, all right? Okay. All right, 60 seconds. Um, here we go. Who was your first MLB strikeout? Oh, man. Uh, as Drupal Cabrera. Correct. First MLB batter faced? Uh, Curtis Granderson. First MLB home run allowed to? Oh, man. Mm, Jose Reyes. Travis Darno. First MLB win against. Uh, oh, Detroit Tigers. Yeah. Number of pitches thrown in that start. Oh my God. <laughs> it was, it was seven innings. It was definitely over a hundred. Uh, I'm going to go with like 104. Okay. Jersey number for your debut. 44. Who relieved you in your first start? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh. Time. That's it. Oh, I was going to say Sean Kelly, but I'm glad you didn't say that. I think that. that's wrong. I'm glad you yeah. did not say that. <laughs> it was uh, Petit. Yes, Mero Petit. Oh, you Mero Petit. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you did it. You, you're you're going to be on the leaderboard somewhere, just not at the top. That's okay. 
what I what I get wrong, what I get right. Now I'm curious. Um, let's see. you you were you were killing it. Travis Darnot is your home run. Um, yeah, I missed Tigers. That. Uh, your jersey number debut you got right. Pitches thrown was wrong. Um, and then yeah, you just actually you know you did pretty well. Just whatever, you did fine. Um, but yeah, man. So thank you for joining me, and I, I appreciate it. So one thing I kind of wanted to get to is even before you got drafted. I want to learn about you. How did you become a baseball player? Your mom is an actress and your dad is in the video game industry. Like how does Lucas Giolito become so good at baseball? Oh man. Uh, both my parents are big baseball fans. Uh, neither. Well, my dad played like little league. I think that was about it. He played some college sports. Uh, but it was, it really started like my parents just being fans of the game. Um, I grew up like watching baseball on TV. My dad was like a Yankees fan, but he kind of like, it's weird. He flips, he was flipping back and forth between <laughs> the Yankees and Mets because uh, he grew up in Queens, but the Mets were bad for a while. Uh, my mom grew up in Minneapolis, so she was a Twins fan. And so I grew up just kind of appreciating the game of baseball. I was never a fan of like a team uh, growing up in LA. I was not really a Dodgers fan. That was just the games I would go to because it was yeah. the closest ballpark. And I just really enjoyed playing it started with T-ball, little league, all of that. Um, I was just always bigger than everyone else. So I could throw <laughs> really fast uh, and I could hit the ball pretty far. Uh, but other than that, not very athletic. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I wasn't like blowing, you know, blowing it out of the water, going crazy uh, numbers wise, like in little league or travel ball or anything like that. It, really all I could do is throw the ball very hard. And some days it would click and I was throwing strikes. Most days <laughs> I was walking everybody. <laughs> uh. So yeah, I mean, I ended up, uh, you know, I really loved the sport and I wanted to be good at it. And so I uh, ended up going to Harvard Westlake High School and I was not good my freshman, sophomore year. Um, I think I was on varsity as a freshman. I didn't really play much. And then my sophomore year, I was kind of thrust into like, you got to be the guy, uh, yeah. starting pitcher, all of that. And I pretty much crumbled until the very end of the year when I had one start where it just kind of clicked for me. Uh, that was after a lot of work with um, Ethan Katz, who became our pitching coach there. And he's now my pitching coach in the big leagues, which wow, is pretty that's cool. really cool. But yeah, I mean, I had one start where it kind of clicked and it just went, it just went from there. I was able to start throwing strikes, start to develop off speed pitches. And um, I was just throwing harder and harder. And that's kind of when uh, it came to be right around when I was like 15, 16. So I started to come into my own as far as being a pitcher. So Ethan Katz was became your pitching coach in high school and is now your pitching coach in the in the big leagues. And was is there ever currently like Lucas, hear me out here. You remember when we were 15 years old, what I told you back in the day? Is there any of that these days? Um, mostly like jokingly, uh, <laughs> Ethan. It, the the funniest thing was in high school, Ethan was our pitching coach, but he was like also our conditioning coach. He would make us run a lot. 
And so now I get to enjoy the fact that he can't make me run anymore. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, you know, we, we work on the pitching stuff and that's it. I'm like, you, you ain't making me run poles anymore. Those days are over. Um, so what is, what is you, you end up doing really well in high school, obviously the, the end of your high school career. And then, and then it becomes draft time and, and your draft story is an interesting one. And, and I want to hear what you have to say about it, but I know there, there was something interesting going on. You were, pretty much a consensus number one pick right around there and then you get hurt um, and then you end up dropping to the 16th pick first round 16th overall pick what was that decision for you like was there any um, was it an easy decision for you were you gonna go to UCLA what was what happened in that that time period yeah so it, it was definitely an interesting very stressful time period for sure uh, beginning of my senior year I'm pitching really well. Um, all I want to do is just go out there, keep doing my thing. Like we had a really, really good team, uh, obviously with like Max Fried on it, Jack Flaherty, a younger Jack Flaherty. He was like a sophomore at the time. Um, we're like, we're going to win everything. We're the best. Uh, just no worries whatsoever. And it was like third start of the year. Our first league game, I ended up uh, tearing my UCL. Uh, partial tear so one of those finicky weird ones where it's like yeah we don't really recommend surgery right um so i got prp injections and i just started rest and rehab uh obviously that killed my draft stock right um and i was done for the rest of the year what ended up happening like towards the very end was I had built an, built up enough strength that I could like play catch, throw flat grounds, things like that. And so scouts would come out and watch me like long toss and throw <laughs> flat grounds, which was pretty funny to think about now because um, it still didn't feel great. Right. And uh, I wanted to, at that point, um, after all the buildup and everything, I wanted to get into pro ball. I thought that, you know, even with my elbow being hurt, uh, rehabbing a potential Tommy John or, you know, at the time a UCL tear, it would be better to do that in a professional organization rather than in college. Great decision. And so I wanted to sign, but at the same time, you know, you got to kind of play the game. And so uh, at the I was also committed to UCLA, uh, John Savage, fantastic pitching coach and head coach over there. Great, great program. guy. And so it was like, I want to sign, but if it doesn't work out, like I'm in very good hands over right. UCLA. And so, you know, we just tried to focus on the positives. Um, when the actual draft day came, that was at the point where like pretty much everybody in, in first, second round, they're doing pre-draft deals, you know, a team's contacting right. a player saying, Hey, will you sign for this much? Right. We'll pick you with this pick. If you agree to sign for this much. That's what everyone was doing. I didn't get any of those calls. <laughs> uh, maybe like maybe one team in like the third round was like, all right, like if you, if we can get you here, we'll get you here. And, so I was pretty much like crushed on that day. Right. Uh, I was hopeful that I would get picked on day one, but I, I wasn't really sure. 
And then it was literally sitting on the couch, watching it on TV. Um, Bud Selig, uh, at, who was still a commissioner at the time, um, says my name. And it was like, oh, my God. You know, it was it was a crazy moment because so you had like no saw, idea. Nobody called you. Your no. agent didn't say they're taking you. You didn't know until Bud Selig said your name on TV. Yeah, yeah, it was it was <laughs> crazy, man. Like I completely broke down. I wasn't expecting it um, to still go in the first round despite my elbow not being good anymore. Um, it was wild. Uh, I maybe my agent like had a phone call with them three, five minutes before, but to me, it was a surprise. So it was a crazy, really cool moment. Uh, and then the process of actually signing and getting into pro ball, that was insane too. Uh, didn't end up signing the dotted line until like maybe a few minutes before the deadline. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. What happened there? Uh, it was 2012. It was like the new draft system, all the slot values, things right. like that. And uh, you know, we thought that I was worth more than the slot value, and so it was just a little, kind of a little back and forth for a while until we for ended up getting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was like you had draft day, and then I think it's like maybe two, three weeks later is like the signing deadline period. So I don't know if it's that way anymore. Like they, they, they change the draft all the time now, but yeah, it was, uh, it was down to the wire. I can't, I can't imagine. So when my brother got traded, um, in 2017, I remember at the time, like, so this was after the trade de deadline. It was that like waiver, whatever the second deadline thing is. So he, it's literally coming down to the last second, and uh, he had a full uh, no trade clause. So mm -hmm. it comes down to the last, like literally, like last minute or last thirty seconds. And I remember him calling me after, and was literally like, like super emotional, like so, like you know, it, it's almost like he had just run a marathon. He had like people calling him at all times, like sign it, sign it, and he had. His, his wife in his ear, like, what do we do? And I can't imagine going through that at 18 years old. Like, he, he struggled going through it that night at whatever it was, 36, 35, whatever it was. At 18 years old, what is that process like? Like, who do you, who, you're like leaning on your parents a lot, I would guess, right? Yeah, yeah. My, leaning on my, my parents, um, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Ariana, <laughs> uh, and my agent, Ryan, or well, advisor at the time, right? But advisor, uh, yes. agent now, yeah, we, we have a very close relationship. Um, probably, you know, he's like, I, I joke around, like he's my agent and also my therapist throughout my, <laughs> my entire career. So <laughs> he's the, uh, he's the absolute man. That's awesome. And so then you, you end up signing with the Nationals and shortly after you, you get Tommy John. And what I want to know is because I've spent some time in, in Vieira Beach and played in a bunch of minor league games there. I don't know how you did it. I, I do not mm -hmm. know how you spent a year of your time rehabbing in Vieira Beach, Florida, 
presumably just put up in like this hotel room. Um, what, oh, yeah. what was that process like? You probably get thrown into the situation like, I, oh great, I'm playing pro ball. Oh great, this is what pro ball's like. Yeah, uh, man, you know, I, going over there at 18 years old, uh, facilities were not great. Uh, we were staying, you know, just signed guys. Uh, the Nationals had a rule. It's like you are not allowed to stay away from the team hotel unless you have double A experience or you're on the 40 man roster or whatever. Yep, we had that so, with the Tigers too. Yeah, so it was like team hotel only, and the team hotel happened to be a La Quinta. Um, <laughs> it was like almost like a strip mall. Uh, there was a Starbucks across the parking lot, and then a gas station next to the Starbucks. There was a Cracker Barrel walking distance, a Walmart walking distance. And if you wanted to walk a little bit farther, you had to go under the highway overpass. There was a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> um, so like guys that had cars, uh, it was, you know, they, they're running it. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, first year I was trying to rehab stuff like that. Um, ended up not working out, got Tommy John surgery. That second year, uh, I was living in that hotel room for, I want to say like 10 months straight, uh, one hotel room, me, me and my roommate. Um, and like, we did everything we could to, to dress it up. Like we were going and we got like, we got all these little figurines. We got like Buddha in the corner. We had like <laughs> a little fountain. Uh, we became friends with all of the housekeepers, uh, you know, I had my whole video game set up. We had like multiple televisions in the in the hotel room. Um, it was it was interesting, man. Like, yeah, it wasn't great, but like the relationships and like just that experience overall, like kind of going through that grind. You know, I was eighteen, nineteen, uh, learning a lot from the college guys. Uh, it was just. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything. It, it was really just like a really fun time, despite, you know, how weird it was. Well, yeah, that's what I always say to people when when they ask about like the minor league experience, like it is the furthest thing from glamorous that you could ever mm -hmm. explain. And you can explain it to somebody, but I would do it all over again in a heartbeat because of the relationships you pick up, the like the people you meet along the way, the clubhouses you play in along the way that are just like you're showering on dirt. I think you played in Auburn for a little while. I played at that field in the Auburn oh. double days. It's awful. And it's like these are yeah. the experiences you pick up along the way that are just like you, you can't beat them. Um, so, you yeah. know, then go ahead. Yeah, no, it's. Auburn, I, that was my first uh, affiliated place. Like I went there right after the elbow was good. Um, I spent three or four, three or four weeks there, made a few starts. And uh, I lived on a dairy farm, uh, host family. <laughs> um, it was like, a, they, 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 in upstate New York or wherever we were, uh, this dairy farm, they produce like 
all the milk for the whole Northeast. <laughs> and it was like four baseball players living in the basement, um, playing video games, hanging out. Uh, we got to do a tour of the, the dairy farm. Like it was, it was like, wow, this is very cool. I was not expecting that I'd be doing this in pro ball. Uh, the like overall like closeness of our team in low a Hagerstown in 2014. Like, I don't know if I'll ever, ever see that again uh, in my career. Like we have a very, very close team here in Chicago, but like, there's just something different about like going through the mud like that with a group yeah, of guys. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So then you end up, you, you kind of shoot up through the system and, you know, after TJ things start going well for you, you're pitching well, you shoot up through the system and then, you know, you, then you make it, you get to the big leagues and you know, you're, you're there for a little while. 2017 seemed, seemed like a good year for you on the surface, but I've heard you talk about that that 2017 season um, and how you looked at numbers that you didn't know what they mean. To be honest, I still don't really know what <laughs> some of the numbers mean. Um, but you made it and then you get into that 2018 season and you really struggled. What was, what was that process for you like in, in, in 2017, getting there, having a little bit of success and then 2018 really, really struggling? Yeah. Um... 2017, first year with the White Sox. I start the year in AAA, not doing great, trying to work on uh, on stuff. And then I kind of got hot towards the end. They decided to call me up. They're like, hey, you're here. You're going to make seven more starts till the end of the year. Uh, start getting that experience. And so, uh, like I said, like I've said before, like I had like a 2-4, 2-5 ERA. Right. Um all those like surface level numbers look pretty good, but I wasn't striking guys out. I was walking guys, a lot of hard contact. I was just getting lucky, um, you know, smash double play balls and <laughs> line drives, line drives to the outfielders. And so I didn't really realize that at the time I was like, man, I'm shoving. This is great. Like ready to get this career going. Uh, and so I went, I went home for the off season after 17, I was like, all right, I'm going to keep doing the same thing. Uh, same kind of workouts, same kind of preparation for the season. Uh, and then obviously 2018 came along, uh, and I got my ass kicked and kind of had to really learn from failure there. And yeah, it was, it was tough. It was depressing at times. Uh, you know, some really like dark moments on the mound and it was like that wake up call of like, yeah, this isn't going to work. Right. Like, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be able to like realize my true potential as a pitcher if I keep going about it like this. Yeah. Well, I, I want to um, talk about that, tw that 2018 off season. And, and you said, you just said, it was depressing at times. And, and I say this a lot. Um, you know, I never experienced the level you're at, but in the minor leagues, like is the first time I really experienced like actually struggling. And, and it, the game becomes so mental at a certain level. It becomes like who can separate themselves mentally. And I, I struggled with it. I'd turn an 0 for 4 and mm -hmm. into an 0 for 8 into an 0 for 20. And it seems mm -hmm. like 
for you, that 2018 offseason changed everything. So, so go in depth on that offseason because it, it intrigues me so much because I, did, I struggled mm -hmm. mentally in the minor leagues, and it sounds like you struggled mentally at the highest level. And then in 2018, it all switched. Your mentality, your pitching motion, it just seemed to me, from an outside perspective, like the most interesting transformation over one offseason uh, that, that I've seen in a long time. So kudos to you, but I do want to hear about that. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Um, so, yeah, that 2018 season, like I recognized a couple things. Um, mechanically, I was not on time. Uh, you know, any, you know, any basics about pitching, like I, when my left foot was hitting the ground and I was getting ready to deliver the ball, like my arm was late, constantly late, late, late. Uh, which leads to a lot of negative things, uh, lack of command control, uh, stuff not being as good, and even the risk for injury. So we, uh, like I knew on the physical side, like we, that has to be cleaned up. You know, I have to find a way to be more consistent with my mechanics and be on time. And so that's uh, kind of where Ethan came in. Uh, I, I had worked with him obviously in high school and then like every off season leading up to uh, any season in baseball that I had, but over like the last few years around there in particular, it had almost been like I'd gotten complacent with like where I was at, what my work ethic was. And so when he would come to me in like the 16 off season, the 17 off season, uh, with like, Hey, I have this new drill. I have this new tool. I want you to try. I'd be like, Oh, yeah, it's not really for me. Like I like what I do. Right. And obviously took, unfortunately took that 18 season for me to go to him and be like, what do you got for me? <laughs> I'm in, <laughs> I'm, I'm in, I'm all ears. Like what, what can we do? Like, here's what needs to change. And he's like, all right, cool. Let's get to work. So on the physical side, it really started with cleaning up my arm action. I had a stab and it was really long. And so uh, we just started some like light plyo care routine stuff, like those big squishy balls mm -hmm. that are weighted. Um, just started throwing them against the wall. You know, it's a story I tell all the time of like literally day one, he puts this big green ball in my hand and he's like, all right, stand, face the wall and throw it against the wall. And so I did it and it hurt. Like I'm late, I come through right. and it was like, I'm like, ow man, what do you got me doing? Like, <laughs> I made my shoulder hurt. And he's like, yeah, no crap, your shoulder hurt. You're so like out of whack and like not on time. Like, why don't you do it again? Wow. And feel athletic with it. Like be a shortstop, be a second baseman. Like get into your legs a little bit, like let it, let it flow. Well, this and is tough because so, you already said you're not an athlete. So I can see where the, where yeah. this becomes tough. Uh, I've, I've become one over time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that next, that next rep, literally rep number two, I was like, all right, cool. Like second baseman throwing, throwing the first uh, quick play. And I just kind of did it short and it felt really good. Like, I was like, oh, okay, cool. That shoulder pain completely went away. And he was like, cool, there we go. Like, good starting point. Let's go from there. And so it was like, 
pretty much every day, every other day, like I'm just throwing these balls against the wall, a few different like motions. That's it. Uh, it wasn't like the full on program that you see a lot of pitchers doing just yeah. a few exercises. And we we're just working into that, working into that. And then once I started playing catch with baseball again, same thing, I'd throw these balls against the wall and then I pick up a baseball and it was like, 60 70 feet moving my feet pretending i'm an infielder and my arm action was much shorter and at first i was like oh, it's kind of weird <laughs> but it feels really good and the ball's coming out better and i'm spinning it better and it's more accurate so i'm just gonna <laughs> stick with this all right <laughs> and and so we did that we started doing uh, a bunch of stuff for my legs, um, got with my uh, off season trainer. Uh, we started to like focus more on like a lot of single leg stuff, uh, getting the backside of my legs uh, stronger and more stable because I was pitching very quad dominant. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, working on my hips. And then uh, I started doing these drills with this thing called the core velocity belt. It's like, this belt you put on and yeah. you can like maneuver rubber bands around it to essentially it like gave me the feeling of like getting into my back leg, my back glute and like driving down the mound. Because before that I was all quad dominant and tall and fall. Yeah. And so it was just like, I'm doing these drills. I'm doing this stuff every single day. Um, that was it for the physical side. I mean, it just went from there. Yeah. Uh, I got very comfortable with it early and then it was like, all right, cool. Now do more, right. Get Repetition. Keep, keep it going. Um, you know, I say it's still, it's still a work in progress at this point. Like it will forever be a work in progress right. until I retire and I'm over it. But yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was that part of it. And then the mental side, 18 showed me uh that i was going out there f for some games and like having borderline panic attacks and i was dealing with a lot of anxiety so it was like i don't want to pitch like that anymore that's not fun so i started doing a lot of a lot more mental work uh working with uh, my sports psychologist and um doing this thing called neurofeedback training where it was basically like focus training and like just hardcore visualization stuff, uh, utilizing a computer, computer software. And I just really got into it. I marathoned through like 28 sessions over a month right before wow. spring training, just like doing hardcore visualization, like trying to put myself in every single stressful situation that a starting pitcher can be in um and seeing myself like just dominating that was that was pretty much it and um utilizing the software to kind of like reach the subconscious mind so to speak wow and uh it just like it clicked for me i, I really liked it and so i showed up to spring training feeling like completely retooled like I was, I felt more confidence just going in because I knew like physically I was in a better spot. Like I knew that I could go out there and throw 95 
and uh, throw strikes and that, you know, I'd be more prepared. Um, and uh, I didn't even have a great spring training. Like I was still working on a few of the mechanical yeah. things, especially pitching out of the stretch. Like I hadn't really gotten that part yet. And so I was doing a lot of work uh, on my like slide step in spring training. My numbers weren't good, but it was almost like all that work I'd done on the mental side. Like I didn't care. It was like, all right, cool. Spring training, working on stuff. I am ready for this season. Right. Like I feel good. And then sure enough, uh, ended up having a good year. Wow. So yeah. one that just speaks volumes to where you got yourself mentally. I think when you got to spring training that year, and still struggled a little bit because you were working on things to, to be able to say, I'm good. Like, I, I still, I feel great. I'm ready to go mentally. Yeah. I'm good. When you, when you said you would have like panic, panic attacks on us on the mountain in 2018, would it get to, like, if in the first inning you walk a guy, are you like, Oh God, here we go again. Is that kind of the mindset you would get to? Oh yeah. Like go out there feeling relative or at least the old me like feeling prepared feeling good <laughs> um you know just had a nice pre-game bullpen stuff's working go out there maybe the guy battles a little bit i walk him walk the leadoff guy it's like a feeling of dread oh no and then the next guy the next guy gets a base hit or even worse i walk the next guy that's when like i don't feel my arms and legs anymore oh wow um, it's almost like yeah it's like almost out of body uh and i mean if your job is to like do something physical like over and over again like that's not where you want to be yeah you know not not being able to feel your extremities so correct that's not great. uh yeah so that led to a lot of those blow-up starts where i'm yeah. out of the game in in the first or second inning and uh yeah i mean it just it was like hey I, this can't happen like i'm yeah. better than this yeah and so it, it really just took getting to work to to clean it up well you you literally transformed yourself into quite literally it seems almost transform yourself that off season into one of the best pitchers in all of baseball and become an all-star and and you threw a no-hitter which i want to talk to you about in a second but when, when i watch you pitch now like you seem different from other people and in, in the fact that you can throw your change up in any count to any batter to a righty or a lefty and a lot of people don't do that but it is an incredible pitch for you has was your change up something that you uh developed or is it a pitch that that you always had with you and, and were you always able to throw it to anybody in any count no that was a pitch that that i developed in pro ball um i had no change up in high school um i actually ruined a potential no hitter in high school by throwing a guy a change up and then got a base <laughs> hit uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was actually, I joke around like Tommy John gave me my change up because it was after Tommy John surgery, uh, a lot of those like monotonous throwing days, uh, long toss coming in. I'm not allowed to spin anything yet. I just started through like messing around with change up grips, like just to make catch more interesting. And, uh, then I found like, Ooh, you know, I can kill speed pretty good. And so from there, 
I was working on, okay, like what's the most comfortable grip for a few years in the minors. I was like between the four seam circle change and the two seam circle change. Some, sometimes I was sewing both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of realized like the best feel and best movement is with the two seam circle change up. And so, yeah, that, uh, became a very useful pitch for me yeah. from probably like 2017, 2016, 2017 on. And then I started to have a really good feel for it um, in 2019. And, and is that when you then. started throwing it more to righties or were you always that way? Because as a right-handed hitter, I wouldn't see a ton of right-on-right changeup. It just wasn't something that a lot of pitchers, pitchers are comfortable doing. A lot of guys mm-hmm. aren't comfortable because if you don't throw it great, obviously it could go a long way. But you've gotten to the point mm-hmm. where you are really comfortable. And it, was it that 2019 season that you started doing that more? Yeah, yeah. I think that it, it was it was almost because like the pitch, like my pitch that like, put me on the map, so to speak, like in high school was my curveball. I had a big like overhand curveball. I threw yeah. really hard. And for some reason after Tommy John, like it was still good, but it was, I wasn't throwing it like 85 miles an hour anymore. And, um, as the years went on, it, it became like a less effective pitch. Like yeah. by the time I got to double a, I realized like, Oh, like you can't just throw this in the dirt and they swing at it. <laughs> so, I probably uh, would have. That's why I'm sitting here now. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the changeup, like, for me, it's not, I don't think it's that hard to throw for a strike because you're basically throwing a fastball, but more of your hand right. is on the ball. So uh, it was just something I threw a lot of in, in the minors. And yeah, it, it got to that point in like 19 where it was like, you know, to be successful in the big leagues, like you really need as a starting pitcher, um, at least a couple pitches, two or three pitches that you feel confident throwing for a strike at any point. And the changeup just was the go-to. So it was like righty lefty. I don't care. You know, I'm going to throw it. So then let's fast forward to 2020. You throw a no hitter. Uh, it was incredible. I, I was actually watching the majority of that start. I think I turned it on in like the second inning and watched from then on. Um, one thing interesting that I noticed from that start is in the last inning, all of a sudden this nasty slider like came out more and more. And it's almost like that's all you were throwing that ninth inning. Take me through one, you know, eventually get to that ninth inning while you did that. But that day like in itself, how, how awesome was that? And, and for you mentally? Um, I feel like that had to be a really awesome point in your career for you, especially with everything you had gone through mentally. Yeah. Um, I, I remember that day I was coming off a good start against the Tigers, you know, five days before, um, my stuff was feeling really good. I was feeling very confident and, you know, I get to the field that day. I see the lineup we're facing, uh, against the pirates and I'm like, all right, cool. Like, this can be one of those games where I, you know, if I'm executing, I can get a lot of strikeouts and, and, um, you know, hopefully dominate for, and go deep and uh, give us the best possible chance to win today. And so 
it was just like I I I locked it in early uh, in the warmups and everything, and then in the, in the first inning, it was like I found my rhythm like really quickly. In the first inning, wow. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of the time I, I joke around. It's like first starting pitcher. It's like we're faking it in the first couple innings yeah. until like we get it going, you know. Uh, but no, it was like that first batter, second batter. Oh, okay. Like it's going like, I, I can, I feel like really good. And, uh, just went from there. Like the confidence grew with every single pitch I threw. Um, I hit that like peak performance state early and I never left it. Um, so yeah, it was just one of those ones where it's like the stars align, man. And uh, it, it was like, I was making a lot of mistakes and, and they weren't like punishing me for it. Um, the hard contact, I got lucky. Hard contact was going right at guys and the defense was making really, really good plays. Yeah. You know, there were a couple of ground balls in like the middle innings I could have squeaked through, but you know, TA, Yo-Yo, um, they, they were getting them all. Uh, and McCann was just brilliant back there. Uh, I don't think I don't think I shook that game. Maybe once or twice, wow. but he was he was like, yeah, he was playing he was playing the game back there like a video game, like uh, keeping those guys completely off balance, um, like very change up heavy. But then, like you said, we go out there for the ninth, and. Uh, we're facing some righties and he just kind of flips the script slider 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 and <laughs> yeah. i was like i was like this is great <laughs> yeah i was like all right cool this is working this is working uh the one the one funny thing though is we did not go slider uh to end the game i think i had him o2 on slider slider and he calls for the heater um top of the zone no higher than higher he's like standing up like yo throw it to the backstop <laughs> i ended up i ended up pulling it down in the zone hard line drive luckily we have gold glove adam engel and right he gets a perfect jump snags the line drive no hitter uh but talking with it talking about it with james like after the game he told me the story of your brother's game that was a almost no hitter that was broken up, um, I think, by Kinsler, uh, where, oh, man, I don't remember exactly how it went, but it was like there was two outs or one out in the ninth inning, and James called a fastball. It, I don't know if it was a battle-type A-B, and um, – I want to say it was Kinsler. I could be wrong. Kinsler like hits a double or single or something down the line. And Mac, I think he was like a rookie catcher in his uh -huh. second year. He like felt so bad about it. Like, Oh, I made the wrong call. We should have gone slide or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And Justin says to him, no, like in that type of spot, like we go with my strengths. Hey, he ended up getting the hit tip my cap, but like you made the right call. And so James like, literally told me like in that final ab i thought back to that moment oh wow and it was like we're gonna go with his strength here that's really cool actually 
I ended up almost messing it up <laughs> by, <laughs> by pulling it, by pulling a heater down in the zone. But, uh, you know, it worked out, you know, maybe if I had gone with the slider again and I hung it, he might've hit a home run, you know? So you never know. Uh, it ended up working out. We, we got the no, no. So yeah, I mean, it was just a super special moment, uh, yeah. for me personally, for the team. It was great. That's awesome, man. And, and I feel like for you that, that ninth inning almost where you did start throwing more sliders is, is kind of similar to, to now. I feel like as your career has gone, you've gradually started implementing that slider more and more as part of your repertoire is that are you throwing it more these days yeah yeah the i i face these teams i face these hitters a lot um and you know they're catching on i i can't just toss a 80 mile an hour change up at the top, <laughs> top of the zone anymore like the hitters they they want to stay on the heater but i think they have a better idea of like how i pitch now um, after facing them so many times, especially teams on our division, you know, I had my last start against the Tigers, like they really roughed me up. And so, uh, I think it's about that time where it's like, okay, you know, I have a very good slider. I have a very good curveball. Right. Um, it's, it's about time to start like being that complete pitcher and, and making those strides, making adjustments, uh, like kind of like what I said before, I'm going to be making adjustments. I'm going to be changing stuff and, and trying to to get better every single day until I retire. So yeah. uh yeah it's about that point where you know go out there and, and attack with everything, not yeah. just you know try and rely on on my changeup, even though it's my best off speed pitch. Yeah. Let me put you for a second in the shoes of the commissioner or a commissioner of baseball. And if you were commissioner for a day Lucas, what is one thing you would implement or change to make the game of baseball better, to, to make it more fun for fans? What is one rule you'd implement or change? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this is so above my pay grade. I, <laughs> I think... Uh, I think I would get rid of the extra inning rule. Uh, it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, it, how it's been for us. I feel like we, I'm, we might be a 50, 50 and, and winning and losing those games. I'm not really sure. Uh, but it just feels weird to like have a runner on second base to yeah. start an inning. Um, Yeah, I can't really think of too much else. No, I agree uh, with that one. Pete Alonzo told yeah. his his answer recently was if if you hit a home run 500 feet or further, it should count as two runs. What are your thoughts on that one as a pitcher? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I'm fine with it uh, <laughs> because like 500 foot home runs are so rare. Like right. what? There's maybe maybe three or four of those a year, if maybe. that. Maybe. So I don't I don't I don't really mind. Yeah. All right, so I, I ask everybody these same three questions. They're like the uh, career moments, career moments sort of questions. And the first one is, what was your welcome to the big leagues moment? Welcome to the big leagues moment? Um, I'd say I had my debut 
it went well and then it got rained out. I only threw four innings, so I didn't qualify for the win or anything. Uh, my second start facing the same team on the road, it was the Mets. And so my welcome to the big leagues moment was like warming up in the outfield pregame and just getting yelled at by fans <laughs> and then proceeding to go out there and give up a few tanks and like, <laughs> oh, okay. You know, this is what the big leagues is like, um, you know, get got humbled real quick. <laughs> All right. What would you say is the best play that you've made on the field? Oh, best defensive play. Yeah. It's funny. In, in 19, I was a gold glove finalist completely a surprise to me, but then I looked at my numbers and I didn't make an error all year. Uh, but I'm not a ground ball guy, so I don't really get many like comebacker opportunities. Right. Um, I've never made any like cool, like behind the back or anything like that. Uh, but I'd say something I never thought I would do was pick off a runner at first base. Um, it's not like a, like my pickoff move to first and stuff like that. It's not really a, like something I take pride in. Uh, but my start against the pirates, uh, a few weeks ago, I picked a guy off. At Let's first go. <laughs> so that's that's my proudest defensive moment. I love that. For sure. And uh, what would you say is the greatest moment that has taken place off of the field with teammates in your career? Hmm. Greatest moment off of the field with teammates. Um. I don't know if this counts. I go into the all-star game with, with James uh, and, and Jose in 19. Um, just like it was my first time ever on a private jet. Uh, thanks Love to uh, Jose. Ho thanks Jose Abreu. He hooked it up for us. Um, yeah. Going on a private jet, uh, especially like the bond that, that Mc James McCann and I kind of share, uh, 18 both down seasons for us um for him it was it was a, a down year to the point that detroit went and non-tendered him um and for me i was you know the worst pitcher in baseball right. all that kind of stuff and in 2019 we show up to spring training the white Sox. we just sign him on like a one-year deal um i show back up and it was like we had this chip on our shoulder and we kind of like bonded over that and That's we really both cool. became all-stars that year. So like that feeling of like going on that private jet, showing up to Cleveland, being an all-star, everything doing that together was, was really cool. That's awesome, man. And uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you about uh, the Orphan Kittens project and the shirt mm. I've seen you wear that says, let the kittens play. What, <laughs> tell, tell me about all this stuff. What's that about? So yeah, the, the Orphan Kitten Project, it's a uh, student run nonprofit at UC Davis. Um, vet students are, are heavily involved. Uh, so my wife was a president, her third year of veterinary school. Um, and now that she's in her fourth year, uh, 
she's full on hands on working in the hospital. She's actually on an externship at a uh, at a animal shelter right now. So it's kind of like a pass the torch thing. She was a president her third year. She's now passed the torch along. But it's funny because she's like still doing stuff for them all the time on the <laughs> side. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she was super, super involved, uh, obviously, as a president in 2020 during the pandemic. Uh, the COVID pandemic happened to coincide with just like a big boom of, of uh, kitten births and, and strays and all sorts of stuff in, in that area in Northern California. So she was constantly working. We had an incubator in our house uh, with neonatals, like tiny wow. little baby kittens in there, like constantly getting them in. Uh, Ari would be waking up like every three hours to go and, and tube feed them, stuff like oh that. God. And so I was just there. We didn't have a baseball <laughs> season yet. I was trying to help in any way I could. And, and so... I was doing like my Twitch streams, video games and donating all of it uh, to the Orphan Kitten Project and just trying to like spread the word as much as possible. Anyone in the Northern California area, like check it out, uh, support, foster, adopt. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we ended up having the shirts made and, and now it's like, I just will always have this connection with like neonatal <laughs> kittens and, and baby kittens and uh yeah it's it's it, it was wonderful it's it's a fantastic program they have over there that's incredible well lucas thank you yeah. so much for joining me i really really appreciate it congratulations on on everything you've accomplished the last few years um i'm pumped for you by the way i know you don't stream as much anymore but at some point offline we have to play the show against each other it's got to go down um absolutely man but yeah. i appreciate you joining me and uh, you're welcome back anytime man cool thanks ben all right. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks. Thanks again to Lucas Giolito for joining me. One of the best guys in all of baseball with truly an incredible story. And I wanted to thank him for sharing that. Truly transformed his career from the guy he was to basically a major league all-star from the physical side of things and also the mental side of things. So what an awesome story and thanks to him. But look, you guys can see the shirt. It is time for my favorite segment this week in Shohei Otani news with the most incredible set we have here for the most exciting player in all of baseball. And it is all presented by Mattress Firm. So talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep. Look, I did it before they even became the presenting sponsor and I unjunked my sleep and I promise you will not regret it. But let's get into it with Shohei Otani from this past week, and I want to start with his pitching performance on Wednesday against the Texas Rangers. He throws six innings, strikes out six guys, gives up one earned run, lowering his ERA to below three. Again, his ERA has been lowered to below three, finally, since that blow-up outing in New York. But... Let's talk about since that outing. Since the beginning of July, Shohei Otani has a 1.38 ERA, which is the best in baseball in that entire span. So since July 1st, there has been no better pitcher in terms of giving up runs, which last I checked, the name of the game is not giving up runs as a pitcher. Nobody's been better at it. 
since Shohei Otani. You know why? You know why I think that is? The biggest Achilles heel, in my opinion, in Shohei's game was that he was walking a lot of guys, and it got himself in trouble. His command on the mound would, would struggle, especially early in games, and his command would struggle. He'd walk guys, and they'd come around to score. He has really, really fixed that. He now has a 1.0 walk rate since the start of July. So since that time we talked about where he has a 1.38 ERA, since the start of July, he has a 1.0% walk rate. The next closest guy has over a two. So double what Shohei Otani has done. So he's really, in my opinion, fixed the, the one Achilles heel he had in his game, which is being a little erratic on the mound. Really fixed that, really lowered his ERA, and now we're seeing the best pitcher in baseball since the beginning of July. Since that time, by the way, he has the fourth most home runs in baseball. So he's still hitting home runs in this time. So he's changed on the mound, propelled himself into the best pitcher in baseball since the beginning of July, and he has the fourth most home runs since that time. So look, I don't want to hear anything at all about Shohei Otani's struggles. He's not struggling. His batting average has lowered a few points, but since that time, he's hitting a bunch of home runs. Since in the last couple of weeks, in the last month, his home, runs, his home run numbers have, have lowered a little bit. I'll, I'll admit that. But you know what's happening? He's getting walked more and more and more. And he's hitting more singles and doubles. The home run numbers aren't there right now over the past couple of weeks. But you know who else's home run numbers haven't been there over the past couple of weeks? Most everybody on the top of the leaderboard. Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s numbers, his power numbers, are not nearly the same. Fernando Tatis, not playing, so that's not really fair. But obviously, he's not hitting more homers. A lot of guys on the top of that list aren't hitting as many home runs. Look, it's the dog days of summer. It is hot. This guy did everything he possibly could have done at the All-Star game. Now we're back in full swing and playing baseball games every single day, and he's still playing at a very high level. He's just not hitting balls out of the yard as often. But that does not mean he's struggling, because he's not. His batting average has lowered a little bit, but by and large, what's happening here is, is he's walking a lot. We're seeing a lot of teams just pitch around him and not give him pitches to hit because Mike Trout's not behind him. He doesn't have anybody. We're not going to let Shohei Otani beat us. So naturally, the power numbers are coming down. But I've seen far too often what's going on with Shohei Otani. What's going on? Why isn't he doing what he was doing? The answer is clear. One, we can't expect him to do what he was doing all season. And two, it's the dog days of summer. And it's tough. And I promise you he will be back to hitting home runs soon. But since the beginning of July, he has the fourth most home runs in baseball. And for everybody freaking out, he still is the leader in all of Major League Baseball with 37 home runs. So it's time to pump the brakes on the whole, why is he struggling? Why? Because he's getting walked a lot. And I wouldn't classify that as struggling. You know where he got walked a lot? This past series in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. You know what happened in that series? He hit three times. He got three at-bats, which brings me to a very passionate point I have here. 
There has been no better reason or excuse to get rid of pitchers hitting than what took place this weekend in the Cross County, the Cross City, Cross LA rivalry of the Angels and the Dodgers. When I was at the Dodgers and Astros series that I mentioned I was at, they advertised this series around Shohei Otani. They said, Shohei Otani and the Angels are coming to town. You don't want to miss it. Otani's the DH for the Angels when he doesn't pitch. Even when he does pitch, he hits. But when he's not pitching, he's their DH. You know what you don't have in the National League? You don't have the DH. So Shohei Otani, the most exciting player in baseball right now, the guy that's doing things that have never been done in this game, go and travel on the other side of town to face a rival, and he gets three bats because he can't play. So all he could do is pinch hit once a game, and they were intentionally walking him every at bat. I'm tired of this. We need the DH. I've never had a passionate opinion on this until something like this happened, until my favorite player goes to play in a series and he can't play because there's no DH. I'm tired of it. They, they advertised this series around Shohei Otani, and he didn't even get to play. And when he did come in, he would get intentionally walked. That's no fun. Is that what we want when we're watching National League games? Some of the most exciting players in baseball getting one at bat a game and getting intentionally walked? No, that's not what we want. So it's time to put this to an end. Shohei Otani needs to hit in every stadium he goes to because he's better for baseball when he's hitting. He's having the most impressive season, arguably, that we've ever seen. He's doing things that have never been done. And no matter what stadium he goes to, the fans deserve to see him play because it's better for baseball. There were people in those stands at the Dodgers game that just got tickets to watch him play. And you got to see him hit once a game? No. That's ridiculous. I'm tired of it. We need a DH. And Shohei Otani is the one that officially sold me. We need the DH. But I wanted to talk to you guys about the guy that has been doing the subtitles for this show. He's an intern. His name is Hikaru. And I am very, very grateful for him doing the subtitles. And it's really helped us with this segment and this show. And we wanted to do something for him. And we actually got our hands on another bobblehead, which was not easy to do. But we got this bobblehead. And we wanted to give it to the intern, Hikaru, that helps us with the subtitles in Japanese on this show. So thank you so much to him for all of your hard work. And I really hope you enjoy this sick Shohei Otani bobblehead. And that does it for this week in Shohei Otani News. Now let's talk about some power rankings. Weekly on the MLB on Fox Twitter account, I come out with power rankings. Once a month, typically, I like to talk about them on this show. Now, for those of you that do follow along, last week there was a team on it. Now, I'm not going to name any names, but people weren't happy. So this week I have my updated power rankings, and I want to talk about it on this show, and I'm going to bring back out my producer, Conrad, to talk about some of my top 10 teams. All right, Ben, let's get into it. Number 10, the Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies are a new entrant, entrant to this list, uh, and they're the hottest team in baseball. I couldn't leave them off my list. I was just finding ways of how to get this team on the list. They're the hottest team. They've won eight in a row, 10 of their last 12. They're now in first place in the NL East beating everybody they play, so I had to have them in, and they are number 10. 
All right, going on to number nine, the New York Yankees. Look, the Yankees have been playing great baseball since the deadline. I think they were kind of underperforming all year. They haven't been great. They're not the leaders in the AL East like everybody thought they would be, but they go out and get two big pieces at the trade deadline. It's kind of like a shot in the arm for the team. They start playing great baseball, and now look, now they're, now they're back on the top 10 power rankings. All right, going to number eight, the San Diego Padres. I love the Padres. I love them. I think they're a complete team. Tatis is out right now, which isn't helping them. They're not playing fantastic baseball, but they have a good rotation. Blake Snell just punched out half the, half the team the other night when they played. Half his outs were strikeouts. So if he can pitch well, oh, this team is, is dynamite with him pitching well. So I love the Padres, and I like them uh, where they are. All right, number seven, the Toronto Blue Jays. Yep. Yep, right after the trade deadline. I don't know if you remember this. I went on record, made a little bold prediction that I think the Blue Jays make a little run and make the playoffs. They end up with that wild card spot. You know what they've been done, and done since I said that? Made a little run. So here they are. They've won eight of their last 10 games. They're right on the heels of the Red Sox and the Yankees in that division. They add some big pieces to that rotation in that bullpen, and uh, they are playing great baseball right now so i like them to beat anybody in baseball right now got it number six the milwaukee brewers look since the brewers added willie adamas earlier this year they have been i I think right up there with the best teams in baseball their record has been incredible since acquiring him their pitching staff is the best in baseball they're back into the bullpen with williams and josh Hader is right up there with the best in baseball their lineup is putting up runs and when you're pitching well and hitting well, that's a scary combination. I love the Brewers. And if there were if there were a dark horse, a team that I would predict to win the World Series that's not the, the top of the line one, it is the Milwaukee Brewers. Okay. Next up at number five, we have the Houston Astros. Yeah, the Astros. Look, I got to see them in person play the Dodgers the other day. An awesome series. They end up splitting that short two-game series. The Astros' offense is still the best in baseball in terms of runs scored. The only team in baseball with over 600 runs scored. Their offense is elite. And look, they're, they're just coming off a bit of a struggling series against a team they should have beat. For It's been the weirdest thing with them. All year, they're, they're like playing 500 ball against teams they should beat up against and then dominating the best teams in baseball. And they are just that. They are one of the best teams in baseball. Got it. This one can't be right. I'm seeing number four, the Chicago White Sox. Ah, yes. A big jump from where I had them last week at number 30. <laughs> no, look, the, the, the White Sox are the team that if I had to go out on a limb and predict who's going who's gonna to be in the American League, who's going to win the championship in the American League and get to the World Series, right now it's got to be the White Sox. They're the most complete team in the American League in terms of having the rotation they do that's first in ERA and a bunch of other stats. Their rotation is the best in the American League. Their offense is getting healthier. Aloy Jimenez comes back, hits two bombs the other night. They get Luis Robert coming back this week. This team is getting healthy. They're getting dangerous. And then you have Kimbrell and Hendricks at the back end of that bullpen. Are you kidding me? I love the White Sox. All right, man. Number three, we have the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how the Rays do it, but they continue to do it. They continue to just be better than everybody else. Everybody likes to talk about the other teams in the AL East while they're just four games up in it. They're the leaders by four games. They get Nelson Boomstick Cruz, put them right in the middle of that lineup, and they just take off. Now in first place in the AL East, man, they're good. 
Yep. Number two, those Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, look, this one's self-explanatory. I think on paper, they have the best roster in baseball. And since acquiring Scherzer, Trey Turner, uh, this team's playing great. I, I love the Dodgers, and they have on paper the best roster in baseball. And then number one, the San Francisco Giants. You know what's beautiful about this? Baseball isn't played on paper. It's played on the field. You know who's playing better on the field than anyone? The Giants. And I love the Giants. They just keep beating up on everybody. They're so fun this year. The rotation is dynamite. They get Chris Bryant. They're going for it. And they are still three months running, I feel like, the best team in baseball. So that is my top 10. Conrad, thanks for joining me. The top 10 list is the Phillies at 10, the Yankees at 9, Padres at 8, Blue Jays, Brewers, Astros, White Sox, Rays, Dodgers, and Giants. Now look, this one was tough for me. There were a few teams that just missed the cut. There were. The Red Sox, the A's, and the Reds all just missed the cut this week. Three teams that are playing really good baseball. This week for me was the toughest in my power rankings, having those teams playing so well. Uh, the Reds are playing awesome. Joey Votto's banging all over the place. Uh, and you got the Red Sox and the A's doing what they do best, just playing great baseball all around. So those teams just missed the cut. But that is my top 10 updated power rankings list. And now for a little extra innings before I head out today. This one's a fun one, an exciting one. There's a billboard, guys. There's a billboard going up in downtown Chicago at the corner of LaSalle and Grand. The reason that's going up is because earlier this year, there was a poll on Twitter, a bracket from the MLB on Fox page. The best fans in baseball. Hundreds of thousands of fans voted. And the winner, when it all came down to it, was the Milwaukee Brewers. And the winner of this bracket got to, got to put a billboard saying, we're the best fans in baseball in the heart of their rival's city. So as of today, August 9th, at the corner of LaSalle and Grand, there is a Milwaukee Brewers billboard going up right next to, right near where the Cubs play. And I could not think of worse timing or better timing, depending on which side you're on. The Cubs, this happened before the year, before the fire sale. The Cubs have Everybody's gone. They're not playing good baseball. The Brewers are in first place. This is just a real, if you're a Brewers fan or whatever side you're on, this is a slap in the face and you love every second of it. So it's going right next to where the Cubs play. That billboard is going up and they're going to have to drive by it and see it all the time. And I think that's hysterical. So to everybody that voted, the hundreds of thousands of you that voted on the best fans in baseball bracket at MLB on Fox, thank you for that vote but that does it for this week's episode guys i'm heading to the field of dreams and i cannot wait i leave here in the next couple of days the game is on thursday six o'clock eastern on fox the coverage starts i can't wait to get there make sure you guys follow along with the journey i'm going to be right there in the heart of the trenches or in the heart of the corn if you will just flying through the corn bringing you guys bunches of coverage so Check all that out. I'll be at MLB on Fox on all their socials, at MLB on Fox on TikTok, and of course, at Flippin' Bats Pod. I'll be bringing you all the coverage. I can't wait for next week's episode to bring you all the details, but I'll be bringing tons of content from the heart of 
uh, Iowa. So make sure you're checking it out. Follow at Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever, all socials. But make sure you're subscribing uh, at Apple Podcasts on Spotify. And I appreciate you guys listening. I will see you next time. After the Field of Dreams game, it'll be a detailed episode of my experience. And I can't wait for it. So I will see you guys next week on Flippin' Bats. He swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field, it is gone, home run, and a huge backflip to celebrate.